This is my favorite magic trick with my mom's favorite glasses. This is my favorite cake. These are my favorite tonsils. This is my favorite fish fluffy. This is my favorite spider, Tickles the Tarantula. Wake up, Fluffy. Where's my spider? <laughs> you can have some when I'm done. This is my grandpa's favorite keychain. Blink if you can hear me. Please wake up! Today I bought my favorite new corn. This is my favorite ant farm. This is my favorite puppet, Coley. This is my favorite hat, sombrero. What? Casamia. This is my favorite wrestling move, sleeperhead. Sleeperhead. Oh, I'm chocolate. <laughs> Body slam! Look at these guns. This is my favorite toy. My baby brother. I ate it all. Well, welcome to First Methodist Mansfield. Can we start by just giving our kids a hand for uh, this video they did for us for this series? This is the, this is the last week uh, of our favorite series, and I have enjoyed uh, seeing that each and every week and uh, them setting up the, the, the weekend for us. Uh, uh, so glad that you're here uh, today. Uh, my name is David. I serve as one of the pastors here. And if you are a visitor with us uh, in any of our worship venues this weekend, we're delighted uh, to have you today. Uh, before we dive into the final message of this series, I want to share with you uh, a ministry here at our church, just a little bit more about them. Uh, you, if you're a regular here, you hear a lot about loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in the message today. It's one of the ways that we think of uh, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And I want to highlight for you tonight uh, one particular ministry that is doing a tremendous job in offering a blessing uh, to those uh, in our community. Let's, let's take a look at this. The quilt ministry makes quilts for Cook's Children's Hospital in Fort Worth. give them to sick babies and children. We look forward to coming every Thursday. How long have you been doing it? I have been here seven years. We just start from scratch with scraps or cut up a piece of fabric and make a quilt. How many, if you could guesstimate, how many quilts have you made? Have I made? Yeah. Oh, gee. Probably two, three hundred. 
Arnold, my friend Sarah and I work together and we make a lot of quilts. We enjoy it, we have fun, it's a wonderful group. I really don't know what else, you know, other than that we just all look forward to coming on Thursday. How many do you all collectively give? Is that normal to give like 400 quilts? Last year, in what, 13, we took 504 over there. Um, this year, it'll be more than that. Have you ever heard back from anybody who got the quilt? Yes, we get cards, wonderful thank you notes, and cards from people that, that have received the quilts. A lot of their babies have passed and they have something to hold on to and it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing and we all just thoroughly enjoy what we do. Everyone left. Everybody left. I'm the only one in here. <laughs> I have uh, one of these quilts uh, here tonight, and someone asked the question if I was going to bless the quilt, and I said, you know what, I think this quilt is already blessed uh, by those who have spent the time uh, putting it together, and as you heard, uh, hundreds of these will go to Cook's uh, this year, and, and we just wanted to share that with you and show, show you a ministry that's doing amazing things, uh, offering love and support and grace uh, in the name of Jesus uh, through, the, through First Methodist Mansfield, so that's pretty awesome, right? Are you excited about that? That's great. So for the last uh, several weeks, we've been in this series called Favorites, and we've been talking about the idea that one of the things that we love to do from an early age is to talk about our favorite things, to share our favorite restaurant, whatever it might be, whether it's a, a young kindergartner going to show and tell or, or us today, we love to talk about our favorites. And so we've brought that thought to the scriptures, and what I've been sharing with you are some of my favorite scriptures. And what I mean by that are scriptures that for me have been the most transformational and meaningful me, meaningful for me in my, my life as a follower of Jesus and, and as a pastor. And if you're wondering where sermon series come from, sometimes they come from just the questions that pastors get asked over and over again. And, and that's a question that has been asked of me many times. What is your favorite scripture? What is your favorite scripture? And I've usually responded somewhat sarcastically. Well, there's a lot in there that's pretty good. You know, it's kind of hard to pick out one, one favorite. But, but I've said, well, I could probably narrow it down to to a handful of scriptures. And that's what I've been doing uh, with, with this series, is sharing with you that handful of scriptures that have been most meaningful for me in my life. But all that being said, uh, if you really, there, there's a reason that, that I've saved this one for the last message in the series. If you really pressed me, if you really pushed me, I'd probably say that the four verses I'm gonna read to you tonight uh, are, are my favorite scriptures. They're, they're the most meaningful for me because they're the scriptures that, that I turn to often for encouragement and hope as, as I face the daily reality of my life. 
And, and that's why I wanted to save them for the last, and, and, and I'm excited to share them with you tonight. But let me, let me set up a little bit um, how I think about the life of faith, because that explanation, that foundation, I think is really important for understanding why I think these words that I'm about to share with you are, are so critical and such a source of encouragement for me. So I want to start by just showing you a statement that if you're a regular, you've probably seen before, hopefully you've heard it before. It's our mission statement. It's who we desire to be as a community of faith, a place uh, that is about making disciples of Jesus Christ who will love God, love others, and serve the world. That's what our life is about. That's what our church is about. And, and we work really hard in, in thinking about what we do and everything that we do, that it is centered in this idea, that we want to be a place where people are becoming deeply committed disciples of Jesus who are living that out in the expression of loving God, loving others, and serving the world. We, we, we feel like if we're not doing that, then we might as well just close everything down and all go home because that's, that's what we're about. That is the driving force uh, of who we are as a, as a family of faith. We want to help people become deeply committed disciples of Jesus. Now, my guess, though, is that disciple may not be a word that you use this week. I mean, unless you work in a religious setting, it's probably not a word that came up at work. It may not be one that, that, that you use a lot in, in, your, in our modern vernacular. And so I want us to think a little about what do we mean when we, dis, when we say disciple, and another way that you could describe someone who is a disciple of Jesus is you could simply say that it is someone who follows Jesus. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. So I want you to think with me for a little bit about this whole notion of following. And I want you to imagine this scenario. Perhaps this has happened to you at some point in your life. I want you to imagine that you are driving a car and you are trying to find your, so you're trying to go to an intended destination that you have never been before. You're going to someplace that you've never been before. You're in your car, and the only hope that you have to get to that intended destination is to follow another car who is leading you there. Now, my guess is we've all had that experience in our life. With, with modern GPS on our phones, we don't do this as often as we used to, but you've probably at some point in your life had the experience of following someone else, going to a destination that you had never been before. And if you've had that experience, you know that what's critical in that process is to stay in close proximity to that lead car, right? Right? Like if I can't see you and you can't see me, it doesn't matter who is following or who is leading, it's going to go wrong. You have to be in close proximity to the car in front of you. And, and, and I'm going to further guess that you've probably at some point in your life in this process, whether you were the lead car or the following car, this has gone wrong for you. Someone got lost, someone got mad, someone had a reason for saying that the other person messed it up. There's really three ways that you can mess this up if you think about this process of following someone else. The first thing that can happen is sometimes the following car lags behind. So they get caught at the light. They, they, they're, they're driving a little bit slower than the lead car. They, they begin to lag behind. And, and as the distance between the lead car and the following car continues to grow, the possibility of something going wrong increases as well. So the first thing you could do is you could just simply lag behind. That's one of the ways that you could mess that up. The second thing that you could do that, that some of us in our wisdom have chosen to do while following the lead car is you in the following car could choose to pass the lead car. 
You would have no reason for this other than just you're having fun and you think you know where you're going. So you decided to pass the, the lead car. You thought maybe they were driving too slow. But that's another way that this can get messed up is you can pass the lead car. Maybe you, you lose sight of where the lead car is and you accidentally pass that car and all of a sudden the person you're supposed to be leading is now behind you. The third thing that you could do is you could just get frustrated and choose to go your own way. You, you, could, you could be driving along and think, wait, I think I know a shortcut here. And you could make a turn that they didn't make themselves because you think you have an alternate way to get there. Please don't hit your neighbor next to you for when they did that with you in the car. Don't, don't do that. But those are three ways that you can mess up this following thing. Now, I share that with you because when I think about that illustration, that, that, that idea of being in the following car... And, and the idea that lagging behind, pressing on ahead, and choosing your own way, those being three ways that you can mess that up, I can take that idea and that illustration and look at my own life of faith, and I can think of specific examples when I did each of those three things with Jesus. Can you? Can you think of moments in your life where you just lagged behind? Where, where Jesus was seeking to lead you somewhere and, and you were just a little unsure of, your, of where you were going or what he might be calling you to do or where he might be leading. And, and, and so you found yourself lagging behind where Jesus was seeking to lead you. I can think about times in my life where, where I got overly ambitious and impatient with where Jesus might be leading me in my life. And so I tried to pass Jesus and all of a sudden the person that I was supposed to be following is is, is now behind me, and I can certainly think, and I bet you can think of experiences in your own life where you thought, well, I just want to go my own way. I, I, there's a shortcut that I see here to get to where I want to go, and, and we choose to go our own way. Now, I start there because I want you to think about that if following Jesus is our goal, if that's what we hold up, is this is, this is the value of what our, our, our life of faith is all about, what our church is all about. If we want to be a place where people are becoming disciples of Jesus, then part of the expectation of that, part of what that requires of us, is that we live in close proximity to the intention and the direction of Jesus. That's the expectation, that we have to live in close proximity to the intention and the direction of Jesus. And I just want you to think for a moment of how bold and audacious that expectation really is. Because we all have this tendency, right, to lag behind, to go on ahead, and to choose our own way. And yet that's the expectation. That's what this whole life of faith is about. It's about living in close proximity to Jesus, being sure that we can see him and where he is leading and where he is taking us, where he is going. That's the expectation of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So hear the expectation and keep in mind with me our tendency to lag behind, to press on ahead, and to sometimes choose to go our own way. And now listen to the words from Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi. In the very opening of this letter to them, this is what Paul says. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
So Paul is writing to the Christians of the church of Philippi. He's writing to Christians that he knew well. Paul was one of the catalysts for starting this community of faith that had developed there in Philippi. He had shared life with them. He had served as a pastor for them. He had laughed with them. He had cried with them. He had suffered with them. He had celebrated with them. These were individuals who Paul knew well and cared about. And the reason that Paul is writing this letter, if you read through the entirety of the book of Philippians, what you realize is that Paul doesn't get to his point until chapter 4. He doesn't get to the real reason why he's writing them until chapter 4. In chapter 4, we find that the real reason for this letter is Paul is simply writing them to say thank you. Paul's writing from a prison cell and he's writing to this church to say thank you because they have remembered him in his time of distress. They have sent representatives to go and be with Paul to bring gifts to him, to care for him in his time of imprisonment. And he's writing to simply say thank you. And he's saying to them in the very beginning of this letter, I want you to know that every time my memory drifts to experiences that we have had, every time I think about your face and your names and, and, the, and the things that we have shared, those, those moments of celebration and those moments of sorrow, when I think about the, the, the claim that you have made for Christ, the life that you have started, the faith that has started, I want you to know that every time I think about you, I'm praying for you. From this place of imprisonment, from this place of suffering, from this place of loneliness, when my mind drifts to you, and when I think of what we have shared, and I think about your partnership in the gospel, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying with joy. And so for me, the part of what I love about the scripture is, is, is you hear in these opening words, you just hear the heart of a pastor. You hear the heart of someone who has shared life with a group of people, uh, the heart of someone who, who has shared with them what he sees to be the thing of, of most substantial value in his life, his relationship with Jesus, and he's seen the way that they have responded to it, and he can't help but pray with joy. He can't help but pray with joy because of uh, uh, the memories that, that, comes, that come to his mind of, of him sharing life with him. But he says, I, I pray for you and I pray with joy. And, and then he continues by saying this, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and in my prayers, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words... Paul writing from a place of complete isolation. Paul writing from a place where he knew nothing about what was going on in Philippi. Remember, there, there, there's no email, there's no text message, there's no Philippi Facebook that he can go on and see what's happening in that community. He has no idea what has happened to the church that he started in Philippi. He has no idea what has happened to their fellowship and, and how they are responding. He has no idea about any of those things, but he says, I pray with confidence, and my confidence is grounded in this conviction. That the God who starts things is the God who finishes things. The God who started a good work in your life, a good work in this new community of faith, in, in the way that you have responded to the gospel, the God who started that work, I pray with absolute confidence in my conviction that that same God is going to finish that work. God's going to finish 
the work that he has started in the community of Philippi. Now, I don't know anything about your life and your story and your journey and where you are. You may be at the very beginning just kind of seeking out faith, trying to figure out what this whole spiritual notion is, who Jesus is, what that means for you in your life. You may be somebody who's made a commitment. You would describe yourself as a deeply committed disciple of Jesus, a follower who may sometimes lag behind, press ahead, or choose your own way. But this is, this is what your life is about. This is, this is something you're grounded in. I don't know where you are on your journey or how you would express that, but I'll just say from my perspective... There are days that I, needed to be rem- I need to be reminded that the good things that have started in my life, God will be faithful to finish those things. God will be faithful to finish those things. That the God who starts good work is the same God who finishes good work. So what I want to invite you to do tonight is I just want you to, I want you to consider the implications of what Paul is writing here. I want you to consider what he is implying here, of what he is assuming here about God, about these individuals, these Christians in Philippi, and and what he is assuming about all those who would read this letter. The first thing that he is assuming is that where you are today is in some part, in some ways, a reflection of God doing good work in your life. Think about that for a moment. Where you are today, Wherever it may be in your life, where you are today is in some ways a reflection of God doing good things in your life, working to to plant his grace and his love in your heart and in your life, working to bring you into relationship with people who will care about you and encouraging you, bringing you here today to to be in worship, to hear these words from from Philippians chapter 1, that where you are today, wherever it may be, is in some ways a reflection that God has been doing good things in your life. And the second thing that Paul is assuming, the second thing that he is implying is that the God who starts good things is the same God who finishes good things. So let's just think for a moment of this question. What if that is true? What if it is true? I mean, you you may not think it's true, but let's just imagine for a second. If that is true, that part of where you are today is is in part a reflection of God doing good things in your life, and that the God who starts good things is the same God who, who, who has the conviction and the courage to finish those good things. If those, th- those two things are true, then what does that mean for our life today? What does that mean for you today as you think about where you are and where you are going, as you think about this journey of following Jesus and and whether today you are living in close proximity to Jesus or you will find yourself in a season where you are lagging behind or maybe you've pressed on ahead or maybe you've chosen to go your own way. What does that mean for you if it's true that where you are today is in some ways a reflection of God doing good things in your life and God who starts good, good things is the same God who finishes good things? What does that mean for you? Let me just give you three implications I want you to consider. The first thing that it means, I think, is it means that you are doing better than you think you are. You are doing better than you think you are. I shared this in a sermon about three years ago, but I'm guessing that many of you have slept since then. So I'm going to tell you again. You are doing better than you think you are. 
Now, you may think, if you're smart, you may think, well, David, you just said, you know, you don't know my story, you don't know my journey, you don't know where I am, so what is that? You know, what does that mean? Is that just some nice little Christian thing that I'm supposed to write down and put on my mirror at home? I mean, what does that mean, that I'm doing better than I, than, than, than I think I am? And how do you know that? Like, you know nothing about my life, so how do you know that, that you're doing better than you think you are? Well, let me tell you where that conviction comes from for me, what I'm basing that on. I'm basing that on the idea that everyone I see out here appears to be human beings. Now, I know some of you, you are, you are really into, like, zombie movies and zombie shows. I heard Walking Dead's, like, in the fifth season. It's come, is that right? I don't, I don't know. I'm not a zombie guy. So some of you may be more skeptical of your neighbors than, than I am, but I'm just going to assume that everyone here is a human being. And if you are a human being, here's what I know about you as a human being. I know that as a human being, you have a tendency the tendency that we all share, our tendency is to see our relationship with God in the same way we see our relationship with everyone else. That's our tendency. That's, that's how we tend to think. We, we think about our relationship with God. We think about how God responds to us and interacts with us. And we think about the way other people interact with us. We think about the paradigm of those relationships and the dynamics, the mystery, the confusion of those relationships. And we assume a relationship with God is the same way. And so we assume that God responds to us the same way that we sometimes respond to people or people respond to us when we do things that disappoint them. And whatever image we have in our mind, we can actually visualize what that looks like. We, we, we tend to assume that God responds to us in the same way. We tend to assume that God sits up in heaven with his arms crossed thinking, when are they ever going to get it right? What are they doing? I don't understand why they can't figure it out. I can't even look at you right now. I'm so disappointed in you. <laughs> That's what we assume. We, we assume that God is just like us and just like the people that we live in relationship with. And so we find ourselves lagging behind or pressing on ahead or choosing to go our own way. And we just can't help but think that we have somehow disappointed God to the extent that he doesn't even want to talk to us anymore. He doesn't even want to look at us anymore. And when, and when we do that, we forget this really, really simple truth that's affirmed all throughout the scriptures. Here it is. God is different than us. Isn't that good news? God is different than us. 1 John 4, we looked at that a few weeks ago. It says God is love. Not God likes love. Not God tends towards love. God, you know, nine times out of ten. No, 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 no. God is love. 1 Corinthians 13, it's another one of your favorites, I know. Everyone asks for it at their wedding. 1 Corinthians 13, love is what? Love is patient, it says. So if God is love and love is patient, what does that say about God? And the way he sees us and the way he lives in relationship with us and how he responds to us when we lag behind and when we press on ahead and when we choose to go our own way. What does it say about how God sees us and seeks to live in relationship with us and, and God responds to us? Well, it says to me that part of what I think God wants you to hear tonight is you're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better than you think you are. That's the first thing. The second thing I think it means, if this is true, what Paul is saying here, it means that the only way to fail is to quit. That's the only way to mess up the Christian life is, is to quit. 
The only way to fail is to quit. And that's, a, that's stolen from Mike. That's one of Pastor Mike's famous phrases. You've probably heard it before. The only way to fail is to quit. I want to read you something from Lamentations. You may not know where Lamentations is. You may have never read Lamentations. Here's what Lamentations is. It is a book of lament. It's a book of grieving written by the Israelites after the fall of the nation of Israel. So imagine just for a moment of everything that we know about life in our country and our nation, the security, the identity, all that we draw from that. Imagine tomorrow it's all gone. We're conquered, we're overrun. Canada has just gotten really mad and come and taken over. And they come in and said, all the Americans have to go up to Canada because it's really cold up there and we're tired of living up there. And that's, what, that's what's happened for Israel. And so as you can imagine, there is grief, there is lament. So hear these words, Lamentations 3, it says this, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. How could it not be? You're living in Canada, yet this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. In, in, this, in this moment of suffering, my soul being downcast, I am going to continue to speak these words of truth into my life. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The only way to fail is to quit. And I know the temptation. I've been there. Those places where we just think, I just want to quit. I just want to give up. This is too hard. God's disappointed in me. I've messed everything up. But that's the only way to fail is to quit. And if that's true, if that's true, that it means that success in the Christian life, success is growth. Success is growth. So I want to go back if you will, to this, this statement, uh, making disciples of Jesus Christ who will love God, love others, and serve the world. It's who we are. It's what our life is about. We want to be about helping people follow Jesus, follow him in such a way that they live in close proximity to Jesus. What I want you to notice about this statement that guides us in all that we do is it not only has a target, it has a vision, it has an audacious goal that people would follow Jesus. It also tells you how that happens. It gives you a process of thinking about how you become someone who lives in close proximity to Jesus. The process is loving God, loving others, and serving the world. That's the way we live in close proximity to Jesus. That's the way we draw closer to him and we follow Jesus. We love God, we love others, and we serve the world. And success is about growth in any of those areas. It's about waking up today and saying, Lord, today, I want to take one more step towards you. I want to take one more step closer to, to, to being a follower of you. I, I, want to, I want to grow, if only just a little bit, in my love of you, in my love of others, and in service to the world. And, and Lord, when I lay my head down tonight, I want, I, want to, I want to lay my head down knowing that success is simply just making that one step forward. And today and, and tomorrow morning when the sun comes up, we're going to go back and we're going to do it again. We're going to work at it again. Success 
is growth, loving God, loving others, and serving the world. So let me just close by showing you a little bit of what that might look like for you, just give you some thoughts on what success might look like for you in your life. You think about loving God and loving others, or, or particularly in the, in the context of loving God, you think about corporate worship, being together with, with, with brothers and sisters in worship. What we're doing right now is one of the ways that we grow in deeper love with God. And one of the second things that we do is we engage in personal practices. We take what we take this emphasis in our life that's important to us of being a follower of Jesus and we take it into our daily living. We spend time with a resource like GPS, which we produce each week, which is about engaging in the scriptures and and having a a prayer life, a devotional life that guides you in, in your daily life. So it's about worship, being together with with one another and engaging in personal practices. When you think about loving God, it's about living your life in community, in a group of people who are encouraging you and nurturing you and helping you become the person that God has called you to be. Because you will not get there, don't miss this, you will not get there without people in your life who are helping you with that. All change, growth that happens in our faith is always anchored in some relationships that are encouraging us and nurturing us and helping us to see that vision that we we may not be able to see on our own. So it's about engaging in community and healthy relationships. And then in terms of serving uh, the world, we think about acts of service and sacrificial living. That one of the ways that we grow in this, this area is we engage in those activities that are about serving others. They're not for our benefit, but they're for the benefit of blessing someone else. We show up on Thursday morning and we take scraps of, 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 of fabric and we, and we weave them into beautiful quilts that serve and bless families who, who are in a time of crisis, a time of need. We, we stand outside before a worship service and we simply share a handshake and a smile so that every person who walks in the door knows in some ways that they're welcome here, that this is a place that, that, that is safe for them. We, we, we go to Unity Park in Fort Worth and we serve the homeless. We share grace in that particular way because, because we have received that grace and we think everyone, everyone deserves to hear that good news. We bake cookies, which many of you did this week to, to bring to the church, to, to give to Cairo's prison ministry, to bless the inmates who are going through a weekend experience of hearing maybe for the first time that God still cares about them too. God has not given up on them, abandoned them, and they are not alone in their life. We do all these things, and we engage in sacrificial living because it helps us grow. It helps us grow. Here's what I want you to consider. What if this is true? What if it's true that where you are today is in part a reflection of what God has been doing in your life, the good things that God has been doing? And what if it's true that the God who has started that good thing is the same God who will finish that good work? I don't know about you, but I believe it's true. I believe it's true. And so when I find myself at that place where I want to quit, when I find myself recognizing that I have lagged behind, that I've pressed ahead or I've chosen to go my own way, I come back to Philippians chapter one, verses three through six, and I remember, God, you started something. I don't know why you did it. I don't know why you picked me. I don't know why you thought anything of me. But because you started this thing, I'm gonna trust that you're gonna finish it. Let's pray. Loving God, we know so well 
how unworthy we are of any of the gifts that you have given to us. And so we approach you today first with great, uh, great gratitude, Lord. Thanks and appreciation for who you are and for what you have done to come and share with us a measure of your love and your grace. God, remind us that you are not like us. You don't respond in the same way that we do. You don't see things the same way that we do. Your perspective on our life and our future and our potential, all those things is so much different than what we see. And so, Lord, we we pray that you would help us to see that picture, to know that we're doing better than we think we are, that there is no reason to quit. And success for us today is just about growing closer and closer to you. And so, Lord, for anyone who may be here this weekend, who may be asking the question, am I the only one? Am I all alone? Does anyone know what I'm going through? Has God forgotten about me? I pray, Lord, that these words would seep into their heart, that they would be planted in their mind, and that they would be reminded, Lord, of how much you love them. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.